Well, we are back again another week. And again, I will say welcome to all you listeners to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And as you know, we are the podcast where we intently study the scriptures and the biblical covenant and its deeper meanings. So do you have your Bibles ready? Get your Bibles ready because we're about to go into study. Now I'm going to turn it over to my co-host. All right. Thank you very much. What we want to do is uh, for this part of our exposition, we want to be able to deal with the clothes changing phase of the priest as we deal with the circulatory system of the blood uh, as it went through the sanctuary and how the priest dealt with it. Now, this will be our concluding uh, study on this particular segment of it, and uh, we'll be going into other studies in the future. So this will be the last one of this particular series, and this is called the seventh phase. And the seventh is the clothing change in phase. And we want to start <clears throat> by going to the book of uh, Leviticus, and in Leviticus 1, do chapter 16 and a few verses there. What we find here when it speaks about the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, a lot of the details that is found on the Day of Atonement are found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16 and 17. And then there's other things that are mentioned about it in Exodus and another a number of other passages in Deuteronomy and also uh, Leviticus itself. But these seem to be the primarily areas, chapters 16 and 17, when it deals with the Day of Atonement. So what we want to do is look at the 16th chapter of Leviticus. I want to start with verse number 4. And here it reads, He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen belt, and with the linen turban shall he be attired. These are the holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. Okay, as we deal with this seventh, the clothes changing phase, here it talks about the clothing that the, the priests wore. And it speaks about his attire and the things that he put on. And then if we read in the same chapter, Leviticus 23, I mean Leviticus 24, verse 23, in the same chapter along with verse 4 that we've just read, it says in verse 23, And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the assembly and shall put off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And verse 24 tells us, and he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth and offer his ascending smoke offering and the ascending smoke offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. 
Now, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest Aaron changed his clothing several times. What we want to do in this study is to, again, do as we have done in our previous ones, uh, and that is to continue to make comparison between the typical and the antitypical. Now, we understand when we speak about the type and the antitype, we are talking about two factors which relate to one another. Now, when we speak about a type, it is something that represents something that is akin to it. An antitype is that which the type is a symbol of. Oftentimes in the Holy Writ, a type is something such as a symbol, a situation, or a person in the Old Testament which represents or points towards someone or something in the New Testament. By way of example, we have been saying that Aaron, the high priest and type in the Old Testament pointed toward Yeshua, our high priest and antitype in the New Testament. So when we are dealing with type and antitype, we are merely making some comparisons of a symbol, a character, a place or something that has to do with something that is portraying in the New Testament in the fulfillment of that particular thing. So type met antitype in many instances in Scripture. And so we want to continue that type of scenario as we uh, do this final study in this particular uh, study here. Subsequently, what we want to do is to show how the changing of Aaron, the high priest's garments and type, relate to the changing of Yeshua, the high priest's garments and antitype. What the changing of Aaron's clothes was in type as a prophecy of the changing of Yeshua's clothes was in antitype as a fulfillment of that prophecy. When we consider the fact that Aaron, the priest, changed his clothes several times on the Day of Atonement, we ask the question, what does these changes mean? In order for us to properly understand what the changing of the high priest's clothing meant in type and antitype, let us first examine his clothes of which were worn on the Day of Atonement. Let us start by first exploring the garments themselves and then proceed to when and how these garments were to be used. So let us look at the garments that the priest had. And while we want to stay in chapter 16 of Leviticus, we also want to go to Exodus in the book of Exodus chapter 28. And in Exodus chapter 28, we want to look at a few verses there to get an idea about the garments which were worn, especially on the Day of, of Atonement. Now here in Exodus 28, we want to look at verse 39 and 42. Verses 39 and 42. Now... Here it says 
in verse 29, I mean 39 that is, we're looking at Exodus 28, 39. And here 39 says, and you shall embroider the coat of fine linen, and you shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the belt of needlework. And then verse 42, it says, and you shall make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness from the loins, even unto the thighs they shall reach. So here he's given some of the garments and the breeches that they should wear and the length in which they should be. So when we look at those particular items that is pointed out in verse 39, we turn back to Leviticus chapter 16. And we compare this with verse number four, which says, he shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen belt and with the linen turban shall he be attired. These are holy garments. So when he talks about these uh, garments, he calls them holy garments. Okay, so when we look at verse uh, verses 39 and 42 of Exodus 28, and we look at Exodus, look at Leviticus, that is, 16.4, we find a similarity of the same garments that they are speaking about. He speaks about the linen coat, the linen mitre, and the linen girdle, and the linen breeches. So, so we are looking at those four items of which they call the holy garments. Okay. Okay, now, as we look at that list, of the linen coat, the linen breeches, and the linen girdle, and the linen mitre, we go back to Exodus chapter 28. And in Exodus chapter 28, we read verses 40 and 42, and notice what it says. It said, And for Aaron's sons, you shall make coats, and you shall make for them belts and bonnets, shall you make for them for glory and for beauty. And verse 42 says, and you shall make them with linen breeches to cover their nakedness from the loins, even unto the thighs, they shall reach. Now, in this particular uh, one, what we notice uh, is a slight difference. They mentioned the linen coats, the linen girdles, and the linen breeches. But when it came to the mitre, they didn't call it a mitre. They called it a, a bonnet. So what we see here is that in the priest's garments that in, in one instance you see the mitre and in the other you see a bonnet. So now when we uh, look at that, what we notice is that for the high priest and the regular priest, his sons, the sons of Aaron, uh, they will wear, wear the linen coat, the girdles, and the breeches, and the bonnet. But Aaron, he wore the coat, the mitre, and the girdle, and the breeches. Okay? So those were the garments that they wore on the Day of Atonement. And they were all, and those garments were made out of white, clean linen. Now, we want to look at Exodus chapter 28 again. And we want to look at verses 4 and 5, Exodus 28. 
I want to consider verses 4 and 5. Okay, now here, here it reads in verse 4 of the 28th chapter of Exodus. It said, And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a broidered coat, a turban and a belt. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And verse 5 said, And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. Now what we want to notice particularly about this particular uh, uh, garment that was worn. Now this is called the high priest's garment. Now the other priests, they did not wear this garment. This was only the garment that the high priest wore. So Aaron, he only wore this, and on the day of atonement, he also wore it, okay? So when we look at Exodus 28.4, it speaks about the breastplate, the ephod, the robe, the broided coat, the mitre, and the girdle, okay? So all of these uh, items, he was aware on the day of, of, of atonement. And it was made out of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen. These were the things. Now, as I pointed out, Aaron was the only one to wear this particular uh, garment. The only way that the other priest could wear this garment is that if the high priest died, it would be passed on to them. But other than that, he was the only one as the high priest to wear that. However, on the Day of Atonement, what we do see is that the high priest did wear the linen garment. They, they shared that, but the high priest's garment, that was only worn by Aaron. Now, from these texts, we see that the high priest Aaron and his sons, the assisting priests, had garments which were similar. And Aaron, the high priest, had a garment for himself of which he only wore. Now, when we look at uh, Leviticus 16:4, it says, "He shall put on holy, he shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with the linen belt, and with the linen turban shall he be attired." Okay. Now, here we are told that when Aaron went into the holy place, he, he, he must put on the holy linen garments. These are the garments Aaron ministered in up until the scapegoat was sent into the wilderness by a fit man. Now, when we turn in Leviticus 16, 23, it tells us, he said, and Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the assembly and shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and leave them there. Okay, now, what we are dealing with is, is that in verse 23 of this same chapter, it says, and Aaron shall come into the tabernacle and into the tabernacle of the assembly and shall put off his linen garments. Okay, now this is talking about pulling off 
his linen linen garments. Okay, now if he if he pulled them off, then we ask the question, when did he put them on? Okay, so we go back into Leviticus uh, 16:4. It says, "He shall put on the holy linen coat." Okay, this is when he put it on. He put it on when he went into the holy place on the day of atonement in the morning. So when he went in the morning, he he put them on. So when we read in verse 23, it says, An arrow shall come into the tabernacle and shall pull, pull, put them off. So in other words, when he first came in, he put them on. All right. And now we're trying to take, he, he's taking them off. So now let's go back again to see when he put them on. Okay. Here in, in the fourth verse of the 16th chapter, he says, and uh, he shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen belt with the linen turban and he shall be attired. These are the holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. So here we see him putting them on. All right. And as he put them on, there were certain sacrifices that he had to make. And then after having made those sacrifices, then we are told here in verse 7, 16, 7, it said, and he shall take the two goats and present them before Yahuwah at the door of the tabernacle of the assembly. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats one lot for Yahuwah and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which Yahuwah's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. Okay. So he went on with the linen garments to perform uh, the particular duties that he needed to perform in order that he may make the atonement for the sanctuary. Okay. Now, as he did that, then he was to put the goat for Jehovah and uh, uh, for the for Jehovah. He was to sacrifice that goat, but the scapegoat was a goat that he was going to send into the wilderness after all of the sins was placed placed upon his head. And so Aaron had to send that goat into the wilderness by a fit man, the Bible says. And the fit man would take the goat and send it into the wilderness. And then when we read uh, uh, in verse 22, it says, And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness and Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of assembly and shall put off the linen garments. So what we see here is after that man sent that goat into the wilderness, it says that Aaron came back to the tabernacle and he took off the linen garments. Okay. So this means that when he took off the linen garments, he, he, he took off the linen coat, the linen 
Maitri, the linen girdle, and the linen breeches. Okay, he took all of that off. Those were all linen, the 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 the, the uh, white linen that he took off. And it says, and he shall put off the linen garments which he put on. And we already showed you when he put them on, when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And then verse 24 says, and he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments. Okay, now we want to look at his garments. In other words, he took off the linen garments. Now he's going to put on his garments. Okay, now what is his garments? Well, his garments is what we spoke of earlier. His garments, which was the high priest's garment, was the garment that contained the breastplate, the ephod, the robe, and the broided coat, the mitre, and the girdle. See, that was a different, that was a different uh, outfit. And this is the outfit that had more than just linen. It had gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen. Now, from these texts, we see that the high priest Aaron and his sons, assisting, which were assisting priests, had garments which were similar, but Aaron only had the high priest. So what we see here is that he started off with the linen garments, and then once they sent to go in the wilderness, then they, he is told to put on his garments, which was the breastplate, the ephod, the robe, the broided coat, the mitre, and the girdle. Okay. So these are the garments Aaron ministered in. Uh, so Aaron ministered in, in the linen garments up until the scapegoat was sent into the wilderness by the fit man. And then he proceeds to wash, take off the old clothes, wash himself, and then put on his garments. Okay, here... In the verse 24, it says he put on his garments, okay? So here we are told that once having taken off his linen garments, he put on his garments. His garments, meaning the high priest's garments, which are made specifically for him only. Now, when we look at Leviticus 16.32, it says, And the priest whom he shall anoint, and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead, shall make the atonement and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. Now, we mentioned earlier that when we talked about the uh, holy garments, that they were the linen garments, and the holy garments and the linen garments was one and the same. Now, what this is telling us in verse 32 of the 16th chapter of Leviticus is that those ministers in whom they had ordained or anointed to assist Aaron, they were to wash and also they were to be anointed and they put on the linen garments. Now, mind you, Aaron has his, his garments on, which is the breastplate and the other uh, articles that went with that. But now the priests who assisted him, they continue to wear the linen garments. They put on linen garments, according to verse 32 of the 16th chapter of Leviticus. Okay, so this is what we are seeing. The assistant priests and officiating put on the linen clothes, of which are also known as the holy garments. Now here we see 
on the Day of Atonement, the regular priest wore the linen garments. However, the high priest wore the linen garments until the scapegoat was sent into the wilderness by a fit man, and then he put on his garments, which was made particularly for him. Now, at this juxtaposition, let us now concentrate on the antitype called and the antitype called we want to concentrate on the antitypical meaning of what we uh, just discussed. In other words, Aaron, when he was dealing with the sins of the scapegoat, he had on the linen garment. And then when he got through with the uh, dealing with the goat, then he put on his garments, which was the high priest garments. Now we want to look at this in the antitypical light of, of, of what we are dealing with now. Okay. So in dealing with the antitype of the same scenario that we were just dealing with, we want to turn to the book of Hebrews and in the book of Hebrews, we want to look at chapter, chapter five. We want to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter five. And well, I tell you what, we're going to start with chapter four and then we'll get to chapter five. That's Hebrews chapter, chapter four. All right. Now in Hebrews chapter four, we want to look at verse uh, number 14. Okay. Now Aaron was the high priest in type. Now I want to keep that in mind. He was a, he was a high priest in type, but we are told in Hebrews 414, here's what it says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Yeshua, the son of Elohim, let us hold fast our profession. So now Aaron was a type in the Old Testament, but we find in the New Testament that Paul is writing to the Hebrews and he is telling them that we have a high priest, but our high priest is Yeshua, the son of Elohim. And so we know that our priest is Yeshua Hamashiach. That's who our priest is. So Yeshua is the one that is our high priest and antitype. Moreover, when Yeshua came as our high priest, we are told that he came after the order of Melchizedek. So we want to turn in the fifth chapter the fifth chapter of Hebrews and here in Hebrews chapter five and verse six and 10, and we want to look at, okay. And so we found out that the antitypical priest of Aaron was Yeshua. And then here it says in Hebrews chapter five and looking at verse six, it says, as he says also in another place, you are a priest talking about Yeshua, the Messiah, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then when you read in verse 10, there's a number of places to repeat the same thing. In verse 10 of the same fifth chapter of Hebrews, it says, call of Elohim a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, okay? So in other words, he's our high priest. But the thing about it, he was not called 
a priest after Aaron. He's called a priest after Melchizedek, even though Aaron's priesthood pointed to his priesthood, but yet Yeshua's priesthood is going to be on the order of Melchizedek. So what does it mean to come after the order of Melchizedek? What does that mean? Okay, in order to find out what it means, we're going to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 1. And Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1 said, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of El Elyon, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Okay, now let's find out what the order of Melchizedek is. Now in this verse, what we notice, the Bible says, here in 7.1, it says, in the beginning, he said, for this Melchizedek. Okay, now the mere name, the mere name of Melchizedek, it meant king of righteousness. Mili means king, and Zadik means righteousness. So Melchizedek's name was telling us who he was. He was a king of righteousness. And then in the next phase, it says, he was a king of Salem. So he was not only a priest of righteousness, but he was the king of Salem, and he was a priest of the Most High, El Elyon. So he was a king and a priest. This is what we want to see. This is the order in which Yeshua came, on the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was both king and priest. Melchizedek's name meant king of righteousness, and he was also the king of Salem, of which we now know as Jerusalem. When Yeshua was crucified, his blood was also going to make us to be kings and priests. So we want to turn now to the book of Revelation. Okay, the book of Revelation. In Revelation, we want to look at chapter, five, uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. Okay, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. So in other words... When Yeshua came, he came on the order of Melchizedek, which would mean he would be both a priest and a king. And here at verse 5 of Revelation 1, it says, And from Yahushua Hamashiach, who is the faithful witness and the firstborn of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Okay. So he says that when he came, he was crucified, and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. Okay. Now, in doing so, the Bible tells us in verse 6, Revelation 1, 6, it says, when he washed us in his blood and has made us kings and priests unto Elohim, his father. So when he died and we accepted him, we becomes kings and priests. He came after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron, even though Aaron was the type that pointed toward him, but yet he came after the order of Melchizedek. So we can say also that Melchizedek was a type of Messiah. He was a type, but Yeshua was the antitype. He was our king and priest. Okay? Now, when we look at that, we have to understand 
that our high priest is not just a priest, but he's also a king. And when he dies, he bestowed us upon us the same titles that he have, a king and a priest. So by our high priest, Yeshua dying for us and doing away with our sins, we are priests and kings. Now we turn to Revelation chapter, chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. And here it says in Revelation 5, 10, uh, here it says, and have made us unto our Elohim kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So here he's saying that he made us kings and priests, and then he turns around in, in chapter 5 of Revelation and verse 6 and reiterates the fact that he have made of us unto Elohim kings and priests. And he said, we're going to reign. We shall reign on this earth. Okay. Now, <clears throat> so then Revelation 5.10 tells us he has made unto our Elohim made, uh, made us unto our Elohim kings and priests. Now we turn, you want to turn to the book of Peter. Uh, Cephas, uh, the book of Peter, and we want to look at a few verses there. The book of, uh, that's First Peter, that is. First Peter, and we want to look at verse 9. And Peter tells us that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people. So even Peter is picking up on our priesthood and our royalty. He says, for we are uh, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people. And that's 1 Peter 2.9. This is what Peter is saying is the fulfillment of what Moses stated in Exodus. Let us turn to the book of Exodus and see what Peter is quoting there from. All right, we want to turn to Exodus, and in the book of Exodus, we want to look at the 19th chapter, Exodus 19, and we want to look at verse number 6. Exodus 19, 6 says, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Okay. So here, way back in Exodus, Elohim had desired for his people to be a kingdom of priests. He wants to run his whole theocracy, his whole nation by priests. This is what his desires to be. And so when Yeshua died, he made us kings and priests so that what was talked about in tight in Exodus 19 was being fulfilled after Yeshua had died to make us priests. And when he makes us priests, that means that we are going to be those covenant people who shall make up a kingdom of priests. So when he says, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and this was his intent for his people, to be guided by the priest. Now, if we are priests, then we are those who make up 
the bride of Yeshua. Okay? So we want to turn back to the book of Revelation, because if we are priests, we, we, we must make up the bride of Yeshua, which we call the bride of Yeshua. Who do we call that? We, we, we call the, his bride uh, the uh, church. That's what they call the church, which was his bride. Okay? And so we want to look at his bride. And as we look at his bride, then we'll get some idea of who his bride is. Okay, now, when we look at Revelations uh, 19, and we go down to verse number 8, it says, <clears throat> well, let's back up to, let's back up to number 7. It said, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his woman, in other words, his wife, has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. Okay, let's stop right there. Well, well, let's go a little bit further. He said, and she shall be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Okay. Now, you remember that we read that we're on the Day of Atonement, they wore white. Now, here we're finding that his, his, his church, his woman, uh, she is also in fine linen, clean and white. Okay. So, this must be talking about his people who will be partaking with him in the judgment. So he goes on further to say in the eighth verse of the 19th chapter of Revelation, it tells us what this fine, clean white linen is. He said, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the Kodeshim, or the righteousness of the righteous. That's, that's what that is. And so when we look at the righteousness of which they are dressed in, then what we are looking at is that these people who are dressed in this white linen, they make up his priesthood. Okay. Now we're going to discover before we close, we'll discover two types of groups that had on white. Okay. But the thing that we're pointing out here is that his people are going to be in white, just like the priests who assisted Aaron were in white, assisting him, we'll assist Elohim in doing the things during this time of atonement in his ministry as well. So if we are priests, then we are those who make up the bride of Yeshua, who is the wife of the Lamb. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now, on the Day of Atonement, the priests wore white linen. The Day of Atonement was a day when the sins of Yah's people were pardoned and done away with. It was a type of judgment. Now, this is what we want to see. See, when we look at the type, they talk about the Day of, day of Atonement. But in the antitype, we're going to see of exactly what that day of atonement it was trying to reveal to us. Okay. Now, when we look at the day of atonement, there were a number of things that we need to keep in mind. It was a type of judgment whereby one's sins were cleansed away 
This is why Daniel, let us turn to the book of Daniel. Let us turn to Daniel and in the book of Daniel, we want to Daniel 8, 23. We want to go to the eighth chapter of Daniel. That's what we want. I want to go to verse number 14. Okay. Now we discussed this somewhat in one of our other studies, but it's germane here. Here in Daniel 8, 14, it says, and he said unto me, Unto 2,300 mornings and evenings, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, the latter part of this after the semicolon, it says, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Okay, now, when Daniel, ended, when this prophecy was given to Daniel, it actually concluded on the Day of Atonement. That's when it concluded. But, David, but Daniel doesn't call it the Day of Atonement. He says, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Okay. That's what Daniel says. Okay, so this is why Daniel, in referring to the Day of Atonement, says, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, we can view this cleansing from at least three aspects. Namely, when we deal with the Day of Atonement, it was a time of judgment. When our sins are judged as to whether we have had them forgiven and forsaken or we have maintained them and continue to live in sin. So this, this is what it's about, okay? So when we talk about uh, the, day, the Day of Atonement, it's like a judgment. In other words, Elohim is looking at the record. He's looking at our lives, and he's saying, are they holding on to their sins, or are they giving me their sins? Okay? So that's a type of judgment, okay? Now, another way that you look at the Day of Atonement when we are reconciled to Yehoah by the blood of his son who was crucified us. Now, when he was crucified, as we pointed out, he made us kings and priests, okay? So therefore, when he died for us, he took our old life of sin and gave, gave us the life of righteousness. And so that made us reconcile to Elohim. Because if you look at the word atonement, it means at one minute. In other words, we broke away from him by, by sin. Now, when our sins are removed, we are at one with him again. We are reconciled to him. Okay. So when we look at the day of atonement, it was a day of judgment and it was a day of reconciliation or a day of atonement. And the third way we look at it is, and we also refer to the day of atonement as a cleansing, like Daniel called it a cleansing of our life of transgressions and iniquity. So in other words, when we deal with the Day of Atonement, we are dealing with at least three factors. We are dealing with Elohim looking at our lives and judging them. And then if we made the right decision of accepting him and getting our sins forgiven, then he says we are reconciled back to him. We, we are brought back into his family. We are brought back to him. And then uh, as we look at the judgment and the atonement and the cleansing because on that day he cleansed all of our sins. So when Daniel says uh, when the day of atonement comes, it's going to be a cleansing. That is the day that all of our sins are cleansed. But in the antitypical day, he is looking at the record of all of our sins. He starts with Adam and he looks at their sins and he gets the next person and he's going to go over all of the dead people's lives and see 
Have their sins been forgiven and forsaken? Have they been cleansed by the blood of Yeshua because they gave their life over to him? He's, he's going through all the judgment and the atonement and the cleansing. And as he goes through that of the dead, then he goes start with the living. And as we start with the living, then when he finished the living, then it's going to be all over. And then that's when he's going to change his garment. Okay, now let's, let's look at this then. Okay, as I pointed out earlier, there are two sets of people or two sets of individuals that are wearing the white. Okay, let's, let's look at that. Now let us turn to Daniel chapter 7, and we want to look at verses 9 and 10. Okay, we want to look, well, actually we want 9, 10, and 13. Daniel chapter 7, and we want to look at verses uh, 9, 10, and 13. Nine reads in the seventh chapter of Daniel. It says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down. Now, when the Bible says that the thrones were cast down, in other words, it is not talking about that they were, they were cast down to go down to the ground. In other words, when he said they were cast down, he is saying that the thrones were set up. Okay. So some people read this, but if you read the context in the original language and you read behind it, it, it means that they were sitting up the thrones. Okay, so he said, I beheld to the thrones were sit up, and the Ancient of Days did sit. Now, who is the Ancient of Days? The Ancient of Days is the father of Yeshua, the Messiah. Okay, it says, whose garment was white as snow. Okay, so even Elohim has, uh, the father has a white garment. So this must be talking about a time of judgment. Okay, so if he got that white on, it must be talking about judgment because that's what they did on the Day of Atonement. Even though during the year, they still wore the white linen, but this particularly is talking about the judgment. It said, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. Now, here's where we bring in the judgment right here. It said, and a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. In other words, that fiery stream was those, those angels. They were coming in, just like when Elijah saw the fiery chariots. And, 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 and when the Bible speaks in Hebrews, the first chapter about angels being ministering spirits of fire, it says when these angels came in, it was like a fiery stream coming forth from before him. It said a thousands ministered unto him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, and their judgment was sick, and the seferim, or the books, were open. So this is judgment. They had on the white because they were dealing <clears throat> with the judgments, and these angels, innumerable angels, thousands and, uh, and thousands of angels, and 10,000 times 10,000 of angels, they came in, and they had the books. You remember we talked about the book in Revelation. They had the books. Each one of us have a book in our life, of our life. And as we have that book, the angels have that book, and they're going to look in the book. What are they looking for in that book? They're looking to see that you turn your sins over to him and that you accept him and did you walk correctly as he wanted you to walk. That's, that's what's in those books, okay? Now, let's look at verse 13 of the same seventh chapter of Daniel, and he says <clears throat> in 13, I saw in the night visions... And behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him 
near before him. So in the judgment, when the angels got assembled, then the son of man and the son of man, who was the son of Adam or the second Adam, which was Yeshua, the Messiah, he came in before the ancient of days. That's when he came in. And he came in to take his kingdom of all of the people whom he had died for, who had accepted him. Now we want to turn back to Revelation. Okay. Now when we turn to Revelation, we want to look at chapter 5. And what we notice in chapter 5 in verses 11 and 12, notice this. Revelation 5, 11 and 12. He says here, John, when he was on the Isle of Patmos, he says, I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, we just read that in Daniel. So here in the book of Revelation, it's also talking about the judgment. It was almost the same scene. And in verse 12, it said, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So in other words, this is setting a judgment scene. It, 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 and, and so as we look at this judgment scene, we are seeing that angels are involved. Okay? The angels are involved. So when we deal with the first judgment, the first judgment is of the angels. When we read in Daniel that all of those thousands times thousands and ten thousands and times ten thousands angels came before him, they were bringing the records to see who was worthy of eternal life. And they had on white. The angels often dressed in white. Okay. And so when they came, they were looking over the records. And everyone who will be saved, everyone that will be saved, they will, the Bible says, walk with him in white. And they'll, they'll also put on white. So when we have the first resurrection when Yeshua comes, the angels in heaven, Yeshua, and the Ancient of Days have already gone over the record. And they have seen those who have accepted him as a personal savior and have cleaned up their lives and continue to walk in the way that he wanted them to walk. And when they did that, he put their names in the Lamb's book of life. And so when he comes, those who have done what he asked them to do, they will go with him. The first ones to go with him, according to the Apostle Paul, will be those who died. And when they are resurrected, they'll go up first. And then we who have followed him, who are still down here, we'll go up to meet him in, in the air. Okay, now, it's going to be another judgment. Just like we were judged even before we got to be with Yeshua, then when we get to be with Yeshua, uh, then we'll be able to uh, enter into a judgment. Now let's let's notice this. Let's turn to uh, Revelation chapter twenty. Revelation chapter twenty. Okay, here in Revelation chapter twenty, he said, "And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for 
the witness of Yeshua and for the word of Elohim, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Mish <clears throat> with Mishiach a thousand years. Okay? A thousand years. They, they lived and reigned with a thousand years. Now, who are these people sitting on these thrones? Now, it brings out in verse 4, he said, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them. And he said, Whoever was sitting on these thrones, he said, Judgment was given into them. Now, who are these people on these thrones if judgment was given to them like it was on the Day of Atonement? He said, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yeshua. So these were not angels. These who were beheaded, no angels was beheaded. These are the people that continued to obey him and would not receive the mark or the number or the image of the beast. He said they were faithful to Yeshua until the end. So these are people who had been redeemed. And when they came forth in that first resurrection, they went with him. And while they were there in heaven with him for a thousand years, they went over the record. And when they went over the record, what did they notice? They noticed that all of the ones that did not accept him, that they would be destroyed. So before they were destroyed, Elohim was doing two things. Well, actually, he was doing three things. He was taking them, and as they were in the judgment, they were judging, number one, was Elohim fair in his judgment of them being lost, number one. The second thing that they were, they were judging was, was the people who were being lost were they worthy of being lost? We, ha we had to know that before he destroyed them. So we got to find out, was he just first? And we also had to find out when these people were lost, was it, did they merit that? Did they deserve that? And so when we found out that he was just and that they deserved to die because they never would accept what he would, he would give them, then the third thing they 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 were looking at is is the fact that now that the judgment was over they entered into the executive judgment which meant that uh these people not only had been judged to die but now the sentence has to be carried out okay and when the sentence had to be carried out they had to look at two things they had to look at number one of uh, they, that if they deserve death, they had to look at number one was how long should they suffer? Okay. How long should they suffer? In other words, if they sinned a whole lot, they would sin, they would burn a whole lot. If they sin less, they would burn less. Okay. And then the second thing that they, 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 they were looking at is that once the sinners were destroyed, they, they, were, they were going to uh, observe, they were going to observe Elohim after the judgment to watch him to make a new heaven and a new earth because all of the sinners, they'll be ashes under the feet of the saints, which meant that they'll be destroyed forever. And the book of Revelation 21 and verse 1, it says that 
after the judgment that Elohim is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. But they had to first see that Elohim was just, and they deserved to die who did die. So when he made the new heavens and the new earth, they knew that no sin would rise a second time in this new heaven and new earth. So sin had to be done away with first. And Revelation 21 and verse 1 says, And I saw a, a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, for the first heaven and the first earth was passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city renewed, Jerusalem coming down from Elohim out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her, for her man or for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacles of Elohim is with men, and he will be with them, and they shall be his people. Okay. All right. But let me back up a little bit, and we'll close on this. So what we see here is that we'll take the seat that angels had at one time. We'll be on our thrones, just like they were on their thrones when the, they were set up and they judged us. We'll be on, on our thrones and we'll judge the people who are lost. Now here we read in Revelation, uh, the 20th chapter, starting with verse 11. Here it says, it said, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was no more place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stood before Elohim. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Sheol delivered up the dead which were in them, and they would judge every man according to their works. And the death and death and Sheol, which was the grave, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So what we are seeing here is that when we have on that white linen, we are entering into a period of judgment. And as we enter into that period of judgment, we as humans will see the judgment and the punishment of those who did not accept him. The angels are now looking in the books and see who is worthy to come to the kingdom of Elohim. They're going to judge us and we'll have the privilege of judging those who are lost. Okay, we want to stop right there and see if there's any questions, observation, or concerns on that particular topic as we close out this particular series. So you, you were saying that the righteous will be judges? Yeah, right. Uh -huh. And uh, and what facet will they actually be judging? When you say facet, what, what do you mean by facet? Because uh, we already know Yahuwah, Yahusha had already judged the righteous. So are they judging the ones how long they will burn. What what exactly are will they be judging for the ones that's left? Well, what happened when he comes? You're gonna have uh, you're gonna have four classes when he comes. Okay, now mm -hmm. the first class is 
which you're going to have, you're going to have the righteous living and the righteous dead. And you're going to have the wicked living and the wicked dead when he, when he comes. Uh So what they'll be judging here is that when they enter into judgment, they're going to be judging the lives of those who once lived upon, upon the earth. So it's going to take a thousand years, but they'll be there. They have time to do it. And they'll be looking over the lives of the people who did not accept him and see in their life record how Elohim may have appealed to them, but they, they never accepted the invitation. Mm-hmm. So that's one facet that they'll be judging. And the other facet that I'll bring it out, the Bible teaches that they who sin more will burn more. Mm-hmm. They who sin less will burn less. And we know the longest person that's going to burn would be Satan because he's the one that started all of this. And while everybody else will be the burned out, he'd be still burning. So we're going to be looking at the longevity of their burning too how long the sentence is, just like even today when you go into court, person, if they get life or if they get so many years of certain crimes, you don't, you just get maybe community service or maybe a couple of months or maybe a year. Some crimes you're going to have to spend 50 years and some you get a life. So Elohim is doing the same thing is that he's looking to see how much you sin. And according to what you did is what you're going to burn for. So basically we would kind of be judging like a jury of our peers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we were judges. Just like when Yeshua, when he was on earth, he, uh, <clears throat> he told that his disciples, he said, you're going to sit on thrones, mm-hmm. you know, and you're going to, you're going to judge the tribes of Israel. This is why the Bible says that when we judge Israel, that's all we're going to judge is basically people, the part of Israel. Because the Bible says that if they not of the household of Elohim, he says, woe be yonder to them. See, the people in the household of Israel, they're going to barely be saved. But if, but if people never even came to the household of Israel, the apostle Peter says that if, if he's going to be that, that strict on us, uh, then what will it be like those who have never even come to Elohim? He said, what would it be like for them? Yeah. Now, also, Melchizedek was a king as well as a high priest. Mm-hmm. Um, now, was he uh, someone that was in the Old Testament during Abraham's time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> he was a uh, he was a Canaanite priest, from what we can gather. Because, see, uh, the place they call Salem mm-hmm. uh, is what we call Jerusalem today. And when Abraham, when he met. Uh, Melchizedek, it was during a time of war, and when he met him, uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure how how many times you know that he came in contact with him, but we do know that when he did meet him during that time of war, that he also paid to Melchizedek. He paid him tithe, and they called Melchizedek the Most High. Uh-huh. I mean, the priests of the Most High Elohim. So we know that even though Israel had not been developed and that the Semitic people <clears throat> who, who didn't receive uh, a, a priesthood up until around about the time of Moses, and then it was in the time of Samuel that they received a king, that other nations, uh, uh, well, I would say other nations already had kings. And 
we find that Abraham uh, ran into a man they call Mili Zadik or uh, Melchizedek. He was already a, a king priest and given the same righteousness to the world that eventually Israel did, but it predates Israel by many years because Abraham, even before the uh, Israelites were established or even Judah was in the womb of, uh, of Jacob, uh, a wife, wife, that already Melchizedek was in existence, teaching righteousness to the world. Okay. And, and, and so, 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 so we know he, he, he was, he was one of the ones that Elohim was using on, on this earth, uh, even before uh, all of the Israelites came into existence. And I believe if you read in uh, the 14th chapter of, uh, of, of, of Genesis, you know, it, it speaks about the encounter that he, that he had with him. And as a result, it was a positive one. And uh, many, many of the people wanted uh, Abraham uh, to keep much of the spoils because he had beat the enemy. And, and uh, Abraham said he would not take any of the spoils because, number one, he didn't want them to say that they made him rich. He said, if I got rich then it's the Elohim or El Elyon. He's the one that makes me rich. You don't make me rich. So he gave him back all of their property and he took a little for, for his, uh, uh, you know, for what they needed to eat, but the most of it he gave back. And then the Bible says here in, in the 14th chapter, it, it says uh, in verse 18, it said, and Melchizedek king of Salem brought, uh, bread and wine, and he was the priest of El Elyon, and he blessed him and said, uh, Blessed be Abram of El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be El Elyon, which has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him tithe. So we see here that uh, there was a man that Elohim was using, even for Israel had developed a priesthood, we have a king priest that was already uh, doing what Elohim wanted him to do. Okay. Uh, also, you mentioned, uh, I think, Aaron's sons, that mm -hmm. they wore a bonnet and he wore a mitri. Mitri, yes. Mitri. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between those two? I think uh, if you look at a, a, a mitri, uh, a, a mitri was more... It, it, well, as I looked them up in the Hebrew word, it was it was more like a, a crown, okay. A mitre was more like a crown. Well, a bonnet, it was more more like a turban, like a, a cloth or something wrapped around okay. your head. But it, it seems like the mitre was made more like a crown. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh... Now, did Aaron, the outfit that was described with the breastplate, was that mm -hmm. just worn on special occasions, or was that something he wore on a daily basis? Well, I, I know, especially on the Day of Atonement, see, like, during the rest of the year, he had, he had what you call uh, assistant priests, you know, his son's. They, they, they more or less did the service 
This is why when you read in the Bible, when Nadab and Abihu, when they offered strange fire, see, if Aaron had been there, that strange fire probably never would have happened. But he turned it over to them, like during, during, during certain days. He may have come in and did things, but particularly that we read that on the Day of Atonement, when he came in, uh, he, he wore that particular garment because the Bible explicitly say that that special garment that he had, it was a garment for judgment. Mm-hmm. So when you match the judgment, dealing with the garments, and you, met, and you look at the Day of Atonement, which is a day of a judgment, then when he came in uh, on the Day of Judgment and he changed his uh, linen clothes for, the, for his garment, which is the high priest, then it matched what he was doing because when he came in before him, he had a breastplate, and all of the tribe, the 12 uh, tribes were on that breastplate, and he then he had the same names of six tribes on his shoulders, on one shoulder and six on the other, which was 12. And he came before Yehoah, mm-hmm. and he was presenting to Elohim as he was presenting uh, the offering and everything. And after he had presented it, he was presenting these 12 tribes to Yehoah, letting them know that these 12 tribes that I'm carrying on my shoulder and on my breastplate are the ones that I have atoned for. So all Israel on that particular day was clean just like when Elohim get through with us in the judgment, he's on his breastplate, he's bringing all of his people there. And when he brings us before Yehoah, he is saying that when he went before the Ancient of Days in the book of Daniel and he comes before him, he's bringing his kingdom there. He's saying, these people on my breastplate and on my, on, on, on my shoulders, these are the people that I died for and they have accepted me. And therefore, as a result of that, they are my kingdom, and they are free from sin, just like Aaron did. But they were just on a special day of atonement. Now, I can read further and see if he wore it any other time, mm-hmm. but I know particularly it points out in, 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 uh, in, in, in Leviticus 16 and 17, when it talks about the day of atonement, they particularly mention uh, his garment, which was the high priest's garment. Mm-hmm. No, one one observation that I noticed in reading the description of everything and just in the studies over the past few weeks mm-hmm. is that our Elohim is an exact Elohim. He has an exact order and he sticks to that order and he doesn't break it. And I think we as a people need to understand that we have to keep his order Mm -hmm. exactly the way he had it. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of times with a lot of religions, they change things to the way they want things to fit instead of conforming to what Yahuwah wants us to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we're in a world of mess now and everything and why Everything this past year has been going on because the it, this whole world has been out of order since Satan came in and deceived Eve, mm-hmm. you know. And I think we as a people, we have to start coming back to the covenant to begin the process of restoring that order. Yeah, well, that's that's true. Uh, what, what you find when you uh, study the covenant is, uh, order was one of the, well, actually, order is one of the first laws of heaven. Everything in heaven is orderly. Mm. 
there's no, nothing dis, uh, disorderly about heaven. Mm-hmm. You, <laughs> you'll never go up into heaven and find a, a piece of paper blowing down the street or anything. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, I mean, it, it's perfect order. Yeah. And, and Elohim got, got order. And when he created the world, there was order. Mm-hmm. When he created the celestial bodies, he put an order up there. You, you've never heard of a star or the sun and the moon colliding with one another. True. They come up on time, they go down on time. When you have the seasons of the year, they come in their order. They got spring, summer, fall, and winter, and they keep rotating. That's order. And when you look and see that sun every day come up and set, come up and set, come up and set, what does that tell you? That tells you that the person who put that sun up there is an Elohim of order. And every time you see that sun coming up and setting and coming up and setting every day, Pretty soon, you get an assurance that, wait a minute, if that sun comes up every day and go down every day in an orderly fashion, then I'm serving an Elohim of order. And when I can see an Elohim of order, it gives me confidence that I can trust him. Because if I thought that tomorrow the sun may not come up and then it comes up when it wants to, I, I would begin to say, well, what, what, you know, what's going on here? I don't see no consistency here. But order is the first law of heaven. And what the devil did in heaven, he was trying to change Elohim's order. And when he came down here, what he was trying to get Adam and Eve to do was to change Elohim's order. Yeah. And that's what he's doing today. He's trying to change the order. But we, as you've said, we have to come back to his order. And when we come back to his order, we come back to his covenant the way that he made it. Yeah, well, I think that's an excellent note to end on. And uh, can you take us to the throne in prayer? Okay. Our loving Father again, as we close this series and getting ready to open another one, that the power of the Holy Spirit may take this series into our hearts that we may be able to live it out and to do what you have asked us to do. And we would ask, O Heavenly Father, that as we look forward to one day after we have accepted your blood, after accepted the crucifixion of your Son, that now we can be kings and priests, we can be those that sit on the thrones and judge, just like the ten thousands and thousands of angels, they judge us, that we can judge the others. But help us to be faithful, because if we are not faithful, somebody going to judge us and we'll be lost and have to receive the punishment. But we look forward, O Heavenly Father, being able to accept and receive your covenant promises, that we can be in the judgment seat, and then when it's all over, we can watch you make a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth, O Heavenly Father, where the whole universe would be with, beat with one pulse, that Elohim is love, Elohim is love. He is love throughout the universe, and it will be in a universe that is clean from sin. And we have a life that we measure with our Creator throughout eternity. These and other blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. And for his dear sake we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Well, that is another podcast for this week. We want to encourage you to return to keeping the covenant which Yahuwah has cut with us. And we want to encourage you to continually to follow our podcast weekly. If you have any questions, comments, even topics you may want the pastor to uh, talk about, feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Again, scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com spelled out. And just send us your message or comments and, you know, we'll be glad to get with them 
on our next podcast. And as it states in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Until next week, shalom.